Let's check out the latest in college football with the Orlando Sentinels, Matt Merchell. Catch Matt on Twitter at OS Matt Merchell. Let's talk some uh, football with Matt Merchell. It's not just about the game these days. It's everything else happening in the business. Good morning, Matt. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing this morning, Mark? I'm doing fine. Let's dive in. Today is deadline day for anybody in the ACC that is going to let the conference know they're leaving uh, in the next year. All eyes on Florida State. Most think nothing's going to happen today. Do you agree with that? And what's your make of where we are with that story? Yeah, I don't think anything's going to happen today, honestly. I think what Florida State probably will more likely do is take the next year, try to regroup, um, come up with a, a good exit strategy, continue to you know reach out to the Big Ten and the SEC and figure out where they stand and if they feel like they have an option that, that's going to work well for them. So, um, you know, to do this right now and, and to kind of throw this together, um, we're talking a lot of money, a lot, a lot of money, so... I think Florida State's going to try to stand pat right now and, and, and go forward. And it's just going to create an uneasiness, I'm sure, throughout the conference over the next year. Um, and, 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 you know, whether it's just Florida State or the other schools that have been mentioned, you know, Clemson and North Carolina, um, you know, it's just going to make the league really kind of a, in an awkward situation as, as, as these schools try to figure out what they're going to do. do. Do you think there's more than the reported four that are against expansion? Um because as I'm telling people, if it's four, they got to flip one school. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think there's probably other other schools that are probably maybe on the fence. Uh, you know, maybe aren't, aren't necessarily sold on this idea of listen, let's you know, let, you know, let's add these these schools. You know, from you know the Pac twelve remaining Pac twelve schools. Um, I, I just don't. I mean, you look at the travel costs. You look at what's going on there. You look at what the overall value is going to add to the conference. I mean, yes, we know academically it's going to be a huge boost for them, and there's going to be some other aspects that are going to help them out. But, I mean, again, this to me doesn't seem like a slam dunk, and I can't believe that it's just these four schools who are obviously already you know, not happy with what things are going with the ACC. There are going to be other schools that are going to be looking around saying, why, why would we want to travel across country to, to face these schools? I mean, it's, it's going to be a challenge. So if it was just the four, I agree with you. It would be, you know, you, you start politically, and you go in forward, and you try to – flip one of these schools to make them to make the move and, and add the schools so i think there's more to it than that matt you've covered uh mike Norvell and florida state enough in, in recent years and, and like i've said i understand money's money okay and 20 30 million every year is a lot but at least right now is there any indication going right now it's hurting florida state mike Norvell's got another good recruiting class he was among the best in the portal again this offseason I can't say right now, well, there's the example of where it's hurting them on the field. I understand twenty, thirty million a year adds up, but there's no indication right now that he's operating with one hand behind his back. No, not at all. And in fact, you know, anything that's that's kind of hampered what they've tried to do over the last three years has nothing to do with money. It has to do more with the fact that when Norvell took over the program, you know, the, the coaching the coaches who were there previous to him, you know, didn't do a very good job of recruiting and you know really left him with a with a lot Left. I mean, granted, they've been behind a little bit when it comes to facilities. They they broke ground on on a new uh, football operations building. Now they hope to have that completed soon. Um, they would have liked to have done that. I'm sure a couple of years ago, the pandemic didn't help when it came to finance uh, financial situation. Um, so yes, with, with the the thirty million dollars, but at this point, nothing is hampering them. I mean, they're out recruiting. They're a top ten recruiting class. He's done a great job, not just for this upcoming class, but for the, the class before that. None of the high school recruits are saying to him, well, we don't want to go to you because you guys aren't making nearly as much money as these other schools. So some of this is just perception, and some of this is just the idea of what can we do to continue to build 
you know, our coffers and, and try to continue to, to add like these other schools are going to be over the next couple of years. So at this point, no, that money has not been, played an impact on anything they've been able to do. And I don't think it will for the next couple of years at least. No, I promise. Here's my last conference realignment question for the week. Okay, <laughs> Pac-4, Mountain West, American, mergers, dissolving leagues. What teams are worth? Give me Matt Michelle's Tuesday morning 1044 view of what that story is. Well, you know, listen, I think everyone just wants to figure this out. I'm sure you're Cal and Stanford. You want to get this figured out as soon as possible, obviously, especially when you look at with the idea that the, you know, the commissioners are going to meet to talk about the, the new college football playoff, uh, you know, a, a future agreement. You know, they've got to figure out how this plan is going to work now. You know, now if, if the Pac-12 collapsed and is gone, you know, what, what are they going to do? Is it going to be a five and seven type situation where you take the five highest ranked conference champions and, and, and seven at larges? Do you just do the best 12 teams? So someone's got to figure this out. If you're, if you're Mountain West, if you're the American, yeah, maybe you want to add these schools because you believe that's going to provide you with enough you know, enough cachet, a bigger boost, maybe that's going to help you out when it comes to that. I think a lot of this is, is, is about that. What's what's going to happen to the future of the playoff when it comes to their their contract? Because there's a lot of money that's going to be involved here, and everyone wants to make sure they get it right. So, it, you know, it, you want to add these schools as quickly as possible and move forward, especially when you consider the fact the ACC seems pretty much uninterested in doing that move now. So um, it's going to happen at some point. Uh, but I, and it's got to happen sooner rather than later because they got to get it figured out before this playoff meeting. All right, uh, part of your many uh, uh, duties at uh, the Sentinel is you're covering UCF. A uh, couple weeks into camp, a uh, couple weeks uh, till a game. When you take a look at the Knights, at least from what you've been able to see and talk to people, what do you think are the biggest questions that Gus Malzahn still has? And one thing, and I've admitted to people, again, I'm able to go to the scrimmages out of respect. I don't tell much about what I see. But the ability of knowing, are your lines offense and defense, are they ready for that step up against this quality of competition? I tell people that's the thing. I don't know. You can watch a scrimmage and can't draw that conclusion. So I'll give you the floor on that about what are the big questions that maybe he won't get answered the next couple of weeks and about that challenge of how your lines will hold up. Uh, yeah, I, I think that to me is is just you know when when you talk about the 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 week in and week out of battling you know in the Big Twelve you know how how is that depth going to help you out? We've talked about the depth over the first couple of weeks. Gus has talked about how the offensive and defensive lines have been as as deep as any group he's had since he's been there, and and I, I think you've seen that. You've seen some of these guys who've been able to step in and move around, and the competition itself has helped them out. Now they've got to identify who is our. Who is our ones? Who are our twos? Who are we going to be able to trust that we can move in and out? Because they're going to need that, you know, especially on some of these road trips where, you know, they're going to need some of that depth. I think also when you look at the situation, they've got, they've got so much talent at different spots on the offense, you know, on, on the offensive, uh, you know, with the wide receivers, with the running backs. You know, they've got to figure out who are they going to be the guys that you're going to be able to rotate in and out in those spots. Everyone talks about the versatility of this offense. Well, you know, you're going to have a core group of guys who are going to be out there all the time. But who are some of the backups that maybe are going to step out and can help you out? I think that's something they've got to look at. They've still got to identify who's going to be the backup quarterback behind John Rice Plumley. I mean, they they assume Plumley's going to go the whole time, but you're going to need someone just in case. Is it going to be Timmy McLean? Could it be Dylan Risk? You know, who's a guy who's getting a lot of buzz in camp so far. Um, and then you look on the defensive side of things. You know, they've got depth in the front line and the linebacker. What about that secondary? That secondary is going to get challenged at times. You know, they're going to have to be forced to try to get those turnovers and make some plays, get the ball back to the offense. So, 
Um, those are the questions I think right now that this team is just really kind of trying to fine tune. I know Gus talked about this is this next phase of fall camp is about execution. It's about, you know, really kind of, you know, nitpicking things and, and fine tuning things. And that's what they need to do before they get ready to play a, a tenth state to start the season. Um, a couple of other things. Uh, uh, Mike talked about this on his show uh, yesterday. Dan Mullen does an interview with uh, Conor Garrett uh, 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 Saturday down south. And, uh, you know, Mullen talks about, hey, at Florida, you know, we didn't have all the bells and whistles. Then we kind of thought might need the bells and whistles. And Dan kind of indicating, you know, I didn't really get the support there. And it, it, What do you take out of that? Well, I mean, listen, the support was going to be there. I mean, it wasn't like all of a sudden Billy Napier showed up and they decided to build their new football facility. You know, they were they were in the process of doing that. Now, was it 100%? You know, did he have the, the, the nice things that Billy has now? No, he didn't. You know, but again... You know, you can you can point and say it's you know the, the administration didn't give me enough support or we didn't get enough financial support or here or there. I, I'm not sure if that's the case. I, I think there were some things that Dan did that were kind of you know on his own front that that really didn't help the situation. You know, I mean there were some unusual things that happened. Um, I, I thought that final season with him, you know, I, I really thought that there was a point where everyone just gave up. You know, what I mean, and, and that they really didn't play nearly as hard as they could have. I mean, I go back to that idea that. You know, when, when him and, and uh, uh, Drinkwich, you know, over at, at Missouri almost got into it, you know, midfield, that one, one game. And then Dan Mullen shows up at his post-game press conference wearing a Darth Vader outfit, of all things, you know. And it's just, just weird things that I felt like Dan just, you know, it's just like this isn't what you expect out of the coach of, of the Florida Gators. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, there are aspects that the administration probably could have done more, but they were moving ahead on some of those projects. They just hadn't gotten there fast enough. And whether or not if they'd had that facility, would Dan Mullen still be there? I mean, I don't know. It, it obviously they felt like what was wasn't working for him. The the the, the you know the, the staff wasn't working for him. Um, and, and apparently, you know, he's obviously you know, looking now and saying, man, they, they've they've given a lot of support to Billy Napier. Well, it remains to be seen whether Billy's going to have the success that he's had. Uh, the story got headlines, and I understand why, uh, when Daryl Jackson Jr.'s hardship waiver was denied by the NCAA, um, another player at North Carolina wide receiver that also had a, a similar story, and now the story's kind of disappeared, man. I don't know if, if it's the appeal process going to take its uh, time or what. Do you know anything new on the Daryl Jackson front, or is it pretty much, hey, he was denied, he's not going to play this year? Well, at this point, it looks like he, he's not going to play. Now, I mean, again, they can appeal. See, you know, I think the NCA has, you know, talked. I, and this is something that was brought up last week when it happened. Is you know, the NCA decided to get tougher, you know, on these two-time transfer waivers, you know, and and and, and what's what's sad about some of these cases is, you know, listen, the original waiver was put in place because they wanted to help athletes who needed to come, you know, be closer to home, who needed to have some sort of hardship, like I said, whether it's a, a family member who is sick or, or something like that. That's the original reason why the waiver was created. Well, then all of a sudden, with everything going on with transfers, that kind of got abused. You know, people were just jumping around here and there, and, and I think the NSA said, okay, this isn't fair. We're going to have to find a way to get tougher on this. Well, now they get tougher on this situation. And in Daryl Jackson's case, it looks like, I mean, he does, it appears he does have a parent, you know, mother or something that, that is ill, and he wants to be closer to that. So um, I, I'm not sure if he's going to get this. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure if he's going to win this appeal. I mean, listen, it, it's tough. Schools right now are looking around, coaches are looking around saying, this isn't fair to us that these guys are jumping around to so many schools and able to, to be immediately play. we got to find an opportunity to, to make sure this doesn't happen. And, and this is looks like where it's become tougher. So it may just be a situation where it's just it's just bad timing for his 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 trying to transfer. Uh, 
Um, I'm going to guess you watch or, or at least have seen some of the clips. Uh, uh, you know, when UCF dropped their 12 for 12 piece on the uh, 2017 and 18 team, and and um, it was interesting as people were texting or emailing me about seeing Scott Frost for the first time. Scott sat down and did an interview. It was in Hawaii and so forth, and the few clips that were in there. And, look, you were here. You've covered. Scott will always remain a polarizing figure for the many reasons that are obvious about his brief time at UCF and uh, how it ended. I'm just curious what you took out of um, going back to some of those highlights and then the new clips where Scott kind of talks about the 2017 season and his departure and and, and what he views UCF uh, uh, moving forward. Well, you know, I thought Scott was always one of those guys who was who was a little different. And I don't mean that in a, in a negative way. I mean, I just think he wasn't your typical kind of head coach. And, and some of that was he was he was a younger guy. And, and I go back to the, the first, you know, American and Athletic Conference media days, you know, in Newport. And I'm at the, the, the airport in Providence. And I was on the same flight as, as Scott and, and several of the players coming back. And I asked, I said, where's, where's Scott? Because they weren't at the gate. And they said, well, he's in the video game room with the players. And I go into the video game room, and he's playing pinball. You know what I mean? And I just laughed because I thought to myself, when do you see a head coach, you know, just just relaxing and having these moments with his players? And I think one of the things that stood out to me about his his tenure here was the fact that he really connected with a lot of the players, whether it's because of his age or whatever. He really – I think the players really got that. And I think they also got this idea that he wanted to create a family atmosphere. He really wanted to make everybody kind of comfortable – outside the football field. You know, he really wanted to make sure that everyone was could felt like they could go to anybody and talk and, and, and get work things out. And that, that started to gel really quickly. And you saw that, especially in the 2017, beginning of 2017 season, you had guys who were just, that's all they would tell us, you know, post practices, how excited they were to be a part of this program with Scott and everything. And I think that's, that's the case. Now he may not have had the personality at times that people, you know, gravitated towards this publicly, but you know, the, the, the interactions I had with him one-on-one sometimes, he was great. And, and I just think that, you know, that, that kind of attitude and his kind of the way he wanted his program to be really was a great mix that kind of held that team together and kind of propelled them to have the success of the dead. So as you told that story, I, I, I grabbed my phone and I, I went through my pictures. And, uh, Matt, here is uh, December 28th, 2017, which is a few days before the uh, Peach Bowl, 927 at night. And it's a picture of Frost uh, playing Frogger in uh, in the hospitality suite at uh, the hotel. And not only do I have the picture of it, but when he got done playing, I said, how'd it go? And he said, high score. <laughs> he walked by me to go back to his room. <laughs> that, that was great. And I'll tell you a, a real quick one, not to drag his yeah. is when he won Coach of the Year, I remember, you know, he'd already left. And yeah. I remember yeah. I, I, I ran into the cub room. And he comes over to me, and I said, hey, Scott. And he says, and he gave me a big kind of a, a, a hug and said, I really appreciate your coverage, and I, I enjoyed having you cover me. And I laughed. I said, I didn't even realize you knew who I was, you know, most of the time. You know, it was like, yeah. And he just said, no, no. He said, he said I, I thought you did great, and I loved And then when I talked to him later, you know, when I did a piece on Mackenzie Milton retiring, he was just, just couldn't be better. Just talked to me about how much that, that, that year was so great and how everything went, how everything was so, you know, he loved UCF and loved the time there. And I mean, just a great personality. And I, I think you saw, obviously, we got some of those stories. And you saw that in the piece to share about that. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Matt's on Twitter at OS Matt Michelle and obviously plenty of stuff with UCF and the rest of college football. Thank you, Matt. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. How, uh, it, I mean, you're sitting in the other room, but I mean, you can kind of see it. So this is the picture, okay? And here's Frost playing Frogger. <laughs> 
And, and again, it's timestamp. So, uh, and, and this was the night before the game, but but this is December twenty eighth at nine twenty seven. So yeah, he, he walks by and said, "I go," and he goes, "Top score," and go over, and it's S Frost and whatever the score is. Like he put his <laughs> name in there, it's like the biggest thing. I'm like, yeah. And I score. I score. See you later. Yeah. Uh, all right. Busy 11 o'clock hour. Uh, sports media veteran.